Well, good morning, City Light. My name is Joe. I am one of the pastors here, and this morning we're going to continue our series in John, um, and we're going to be in chapter 7, verses 40 to 52, which is what you just heard. So if you brought your Bibles with you, uh, go ahead and open there, and and as you're going there, I want to kick us off this morning with a question. Um, And that question is, have you ever experienced division? Uh, Not like the fourth grade division, like math. I'm still not very good at that, uh, but more the relational division, right? Like, like something has come between you and someone else, and it's causing division in that relationship. Well, I, I, I have to confess this morning uh, that right now there is a significant divide in my family. Um, and, and, and personally, I think that, that this division uh, really threatens the fabric um, of our family, and, and the division is this. My wife, which I realize as I say this is not a good way to start off. <laughs> My wife does not know how to say the word sherbet. You know, like that ice cream stuff, right? Like the fruity, rainbowy stuff like that. Sherbet. Now, I, I realize full well, uh, well, as of a year or two ago, that it's actually spelled S-H-E-R-B-E-T. There's no R at the end. But really, I mean... If we know anything about the English language, we know that letters and phonics and stuff like that, they don't matter like at all. In fact, (laughs) every sane and rational person that I've ever met, that I've ever met, pronounces it Sherbert, right? Every sane and rational person. However, here's the problem. My wife is very smart, and she, I believe, learned how to read before she could actually talk. And so she actually pronounces words the way they're spelled, right? Like a crazy person. <laughs> you know, you, you marry someone and you think you know them, yeah. you, you know, <laughs> but you don't. And so she pronounces this thing, sherbet, which, haha, <laughs> I don't even like saying it. Like, <laughs> yuck, sherbet, what the heck? So, so she pronounces it like that, and, and for some reason, it just, I, I can't handle it, I can't stand it. Now, the worst part is, is, is we've got an eight-year-old that's about this tall, and thank God she takes after her mother in like 99% of things, but this is the 1% of things I wish she did not take from her mother. She's smart too, so thankfully we've got that going on. Um, but Whenever we talk about this, which I now realize we might talk about Sherbert a little bit too much in our family, <laughs> but whenever we talk about this, Waverly, my eight-year-old, she says, Daddy, Daddy, it is not Sherbert, it's Sherbet, because there is no R at the end. And I look at her, and I'm like, Honey, Daddy went to Omaha Bryan, and at Omaha Bryan, letters do not matter. <laughs> so you need to be quiet and go clean your room, please. So, so we have some division in my home, and, and, and today in our text, we're going to see a division as well. Uh, but the, the division that we're going to see today is, is not a trivial division. In fact, it's something that, that actually all of us are going to have to contend with in one way or another. And the division is caused by this. Who do we believe that Jesus is? And do we believe that he is the person that he says he is? And what are we doing with that belief? So see, like this morning, we're going to see that, that loving and following Jesus will divide us from the world in many different ways. We won't always be accepted. We won't always be, you know, the, the top of the social ladder. We're not always going to be approved 
It's going to cause division. But we're also going to be reminded that even though the world might divide from us and reject us, that Jesus has not left us alone. He actually came to face rejection on our behalf. He was rejected and crucified by the very people he created. And on that cross, he faced the most severe rejection, which was punishment for our sins. So that since he was rejected, we could be freely accepted. So as we go into this text, I want us to see just the incredible challenge that is there as we love and contend for Jesus in the face of division and in the face of rejection. But on the other side of that, I also want us to see the incredible love and grace of Jesus for us who face that rejection for us in the first place. So let's go ahead and, and, and kind of see how this plays out. So as we go through our text this morning, we're going to go through it a little bit uniquely. We're actually going to start in the middle, and then we're going to swing back and catch the beginning and end. And the reason that we're doing that um, is because in the very middle, there's a, a phrase that is said by these officers that are going to arrest Jesus. And I think that this phrase really illuminates and informs the rest of the narrative. In fact, it, it kind of uh, reacts as like a, uh, like a hinge, for the rest of the section. And so that's how we're going to walk through it. Um, And I'm going to have two observations or two guideposts or whatever we want to call them uh, in our text that we're going to organize under. And the first one is this. No one speaks like Jesus. No one speaks like Jesus. So look with me, if you will, at chapter 7, verses 45 to 46. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. No one ever spoke like this man. So in the passage before this, we actually see the Pharisees and the chief priests, these religious leaders, they, they search out uh, these, temples, these temple officers, and they tell them to go arrest Jesus. Now this is not... This is not a complex job. This is not a hard job. The Pharisees would have, would have said, hey, you guys with the big swords, you temple officers, come here, come here, real quick. Okay, you guys are huge. See that little skinny guy over there? Yeah, yeah, the one with the flip-flops? Yeah, I want you to take your swords, go over there, arrest him, and bring him to us. Yeah, no, I know, he doesn't have a sword. This should be pretty easy, right? Just go over there, arrest the guy in the flip-flops, bring him to us, right? It's not very complicated. There's not too many things that should have gone wrong, but something happened when they went When they went to arrest Jesus, something happened. And what happened was they heard his words. See that explanation when they come back? No one ever spoke like this man. They see Jesus is teaching with power, and he's teaching with authority. Now, life would have been much simpler for these guards if Jesus had been, like, stirring up a rebellion, or or if he had been teaching right moral principles that maybe the religious leaders didn't agree with, but he wasn't. Jesus wasn't teaching those things. He was teaching with authority, and very importantly, he was claiming to be God. Jesus was claiming to be God, and the the officers knew that they had to contend with that. They knew they couldn't just leave this. They they weren't going to arrest God uh, if, if he, in fact, is God. And so this is how it works for us today. Still, nobody speaks like Jesus. 
Nobody speaks like Jesus. There's all kinds of, 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 of things out there. Uh, people okay, say all kinds of things about who Jesus is or, or who he claimed to be. Uh, you'll hear that he's a good teacher. You'll he- hear that he's a great moral leader. You're, you'll hear that he's a, a great thinker. Um, but, but, you know, you'll hear that you know, also he never really meant for people to believe, you know, that he was God. Uh, Islam calls him an important and revered prophet. Most Jews call him a respected rabbi, a respected teacher. In fact, most of the world's religions actually hold Jesus up in some regard as a wise teacher, a moral teacher, a prophet, something like that. However, when we look into Jesus, when we really look into the Gospels, when we really look into what Jesus says about himself, he really only gives us two options— as to who he is. He is either a liar or he is the God of the universe. We've got those two options when we look and see what Jesus says about himself. We cannot just call him a prophet or a rabbi or a great thinker or an influencer because Jesus himself calls himself God. Jesus calls himself God over and over in the gospel, so we only have those two options. He does not allow us to determine that he was a good man who taught right moral principles. We have to contend with the words of Jesus, how he speaks, and the claims that he makes about himself. So let me tell you a little bit about how this has has worked out in my life. I grew up in a somewhat religious home, and so I had heard about the person of Jesus I had heard about some of the miracles. I had heard about some of the the stories and different things like that. But I really uh, never understood or experienced the power of his words or the genuine love of Jesus um, in any way. He was just kind of a historical figure, whatever it might be. However, when I went to college, um, I actually heard about the person of Jesus. I heard about the power of his words. I heard about his grace. I heard about his salvation. And and I started looking into this man and then giving my life to this God. And see, like, can I tell you that my life has not been the same since this happened? I I, I realized that his words have life. They have truth. They have power. They have healing. And then I quickly realized that Jesus's words actually needed to be the authority in my life. To to say it very simply, I was not going to be the one anymore that called the shots in my life. I wasn't going to be driving the car anymore. It was going to be the words of Jesus. So I fell in love with his word. I fell in love with the Bible. I fell in love with um, uh, uh, just the power and truth that comes with his words. And and, and I started to learn as I read by myself and read with other people and, and, and talked through it. Um, that, that, that Jesus' words needed to have full authority in my life. And, and, and I'm still working through this. I don't think uh, any of us will ever be a, a completed project unless Jesus comes back. But what, what I've found happens is, is sometimes if I have option A, and, and, and that is what I know Christ um, uh, says to do, what I know uh, the Bible tells me to do, and then option B is what my emotions tell me what I want to do, what I've learned is that I need to trust in Jesus over my emotions. As I've walked along this path, I've learned that, you know what? My emotions can deceive me. My emotions can lie to me, but guess what will never deceive me? Guess what will never lie to me? It's the word of Jesus. It's the word of God. And so so as I've walked along in my life, this is what I've learned to do, is not trust in myself, my own emotions, my own thoughts about how things should go, but trust in Jesus. 
Trust in his word. Look into the Bible. And City Light, this is what I want us to see in this. Jesus' words are still speaking and moving, and they're active. And my question is, as we sit here this morning, are we submitting to those words? Are we submitting fully to the words of Jesus Christ? Or are we just celebrating the gospel story, rejoicing in salvation, but ignoring the authority of Jesus and the power and truth in his words? See, we need to allow the words of Jesus to show us how to live, what to do with our sexuality, our generosity, our parenting, our relationships. We need to allow the words of Jesus to influence every single area of our lives because he has truth, he has power, and he has life. So instead of looking to the culture to define our thoughts um, and, and our worldview, are we looking to the Bible? Are we looking to the Bible to define those things? When we're faced with a decision or a trial or anything else, are, are we looking to, to, to the world, to the culture, to define how we should think about it, how we should go about it, or are we finding that quiet place? Are we seeking Jesus? Are we pouring over the scriptures to, to find out exactly what, what my thoughts should be in this situation? See, Jesus claims to be God. He claims to be Lord, which means if it is true that he is the authority, and we are not. So we see that the words of Jesus need to be contended with, and as we continue through this passage, we're going to see some different groups of people uh, contend with these words. Um, and as they openly consider them, we're going to see some religious leaders freak out a little bit. They're going to they're push back against it. And what we're going to learn through this next section of text is we're going to see that the words of Jesus actually start causing divisions among the people, and then anger and rejection from the religious leaders. So let's keep going. Uh, the, the guidepost to our next section is no one divides like Jesus. No one divides like Jesus. Look with me at chapter uh, 7, verse 40 to 44. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. So let's look at how this passage starts off and how it ends. It starts off with when the people heard the words, and then it ends up with so there was a division among the people because of him. Some think Jesus is a prophet. Some think he's a Messiah. Some think he's a criminal and that he should be arrested. But the point here is that they're divided. The words of Jesus will divide. They'll cause division. The words that we just talked about, his claims that he is God, will cause division. And you know what? This is actually not surprising to Jesus either. In fact, let's uh, go to Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 to 35, and let's look and see uh, what Jesus says. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. I'll just repeat that last one. A daughter-in-law <laughs> against her mother-in-law. So ladies, you can go home and you can look over and say, see, I told you it's biblical. 
But this is, uh, this is astounding, right? Jesus is not surprised by the division that his message is bringing to that world. He is not surprised at all. In fact, he says that that's part of what he came for. And, and if Jesus has a sword and there is a division, what is that division? What's the left and the right? What's the division that Jesus has caused? Very black and white, very simple. It's those who believe and follow and those who do not. On one side, it's those who believe and follow. On the other side, it's not. And if we're honest, this can be hard, right? We think of Jesus as the unifier, and that's true. Jesus' offer, his message, his gospel is for everyone, every background, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every race, every social status, every uh, uh, income level, people with every type of sin and hurt. The gospel shatters every single barrier that divides us save for one. There's only one barrier, and that is those who trust and follow Jesus and those who don't. Now let me clarify here that, that this division that Jesus talks about is not to come from his followers, but from his message. The Bible doesn't tell us to be divisive as his followers, but on the contrary, to love each other. In fact, to love our enemies. But on the flip side of that, we're also not to soften the message of the gospel to make it less offensive. See, like the gospel is offensive. Being told you need a savior is offensive. Being told you are sinful is offensive. Being told what you think might be wrong is offensive. So to be clear, this division is not a license to be a jerk. You don't get to go home today with brunch with your unbelieving family and friends and, 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 and be arrogant and harsh and mean and then pull out the Jesus card and be like, no, 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 my pastor said that Jesus is going to cause division, so that's what's going on here. That's why we have this relational disconnect. No, you have a relational disconnect because you're a jerk and no one likes to be around you. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, that's just the bottom line, but... What we're to do is we're to love, to serve, to bless, and to humbly honor and hold up our Lord and not be arrogant, not be pompous. The, the division comes from the, the message, not the messenger. But City Light, this is, uh, here's what it does mean for us today. And it's that if we believe in Jesus as our Lord and as we look at our scripture, even if we're considering placing our faith in Jesus as our Lord, we have to realize that that's going to divide us from the world in some ways. Followers of Christ think differently than those who do not follow Christ because their authority is not themselves, but Jesus. Their authority doesn't come from within their own self, but comes from the words of Jesus. And if I can, I'd like to just press this in for a second. So, so a significant part of my role here as a pastor at City Light is I uh, do the counseling. I'm, I'm the counseling pastor. And so uh, what that means is, is I have the privilege of sitting down and, and listening to uh, a, a lot of people in our church, their stories, their struggles, their ups, their downs, their highs, their lows. Uh, and, and it's amazing. Uh, but one thing that, that I see that this particular thing flesh out um, is in the area of marriages. Um, so a marriage is, is really the closest relationship that you will ever have while you're here on this earth with another human being. Um, and so uh, one of the other things that I get to do 
uh, with, at, at, as uh, the counseling pastor is I get to walk alongside many of our premarital couples. So our engaged couples. A couple times a year we get together and we have a set of classes and we have some mentoring and uh, there's a lot of conversation, different things that, that is there. But one thing that always comes up almost every single time um, is this question. Should a believer be engaged to date, marry a non-believer? So, so should someone that follows Jesus be in a significant relationship with someone that does not follow Jesus? And as we talk through this and talk through some of the issues and things like that, um, I usually hear things like this come from um, our couples. Well, you know, like we have everything else in common except for Jesus, so I don't understand why that why that wouldn't be enough. Or, you know what, I respect their decision and what they believe, and they respect my decision and what I believe, so I don't understand why that, why that wouldn't be enough. But here's the thing, as I've, I've walked with and talked with, with those folks, as well as, as people that have been married for several, several years, one thing that I'm seeing come up consistently is that eventually in that situation, Jesus is going to become divisive in that relationship. Think of, think of a house, and, and, and think of building a house. For, for a house to stand, for it to be built, for it to be solid, for it to be plumb and square, it has to have a solid foundation, right? The, if the foundation is, not, foundation is not solid, the walls are going uh, to bend in, and the, the floors are going to sink, and all this stuff. Well, building a marriage is a lot like building a house, you have to have a solid foundation. The husband and wife have to have a solid and, and, and similar foundation for their relationship, for the house, for their family, for the things that they build on that relationship to remain, to remain strong. What happens is, fundamentally and foundationally, a believer in Jesus and a non-believer in Jesus are different. They're going in different directions, they're going, they have different values. They simply have someone else calling the shots in their lives. And so marrying a believer with an unbeliever is like building a house on a fault line where the ground is literally moving away from each other. So what happens is, is uh, the, the ground continues to move and continues to move, and then the foundation cracks, the walls start sinking, the floors start sinking, and all of a sudden, it's a, it's a hot mess. The, the, the house comes tumbling down. You see, the foundation of a life of a non-believer and a believer are just simply different. And they take us in different directions. Now, this is why uh, us as, as pastors here at City Light and others that, that do weddings here, this is the reason that we don't perform weddings between a believer and a non-believer. We're not trying to be weird and legalistic and harsh or angry or, or anything like that, but we truly believe that, that the Bible shows us and tell us, tells us that a follower in Jesus and, and someone that does not follow Jesus, um, just fundamentally, they have vastly different foundations, directions, and priorities in life. And you know, if we think kind of logically about this, so even outside of like the biblical wisdom, if we think logically with it, I, I don't understand why a non-Christian would want to marry a Christian. I mean, just think about this for a second. I'm in a relationship and want to marry someone that believes that there was a man that lived 2,000 years ago. He died on a cross, and that man is God, and I am submitting everything in my life to that man. 
which means if that's not true, that just means I'm marrying a crazy person. Like, so I I just have a hard time wrapping even logically um, around this. But let me also tell you how this has worked out in my life. Um, Since becoming a follower of Christ, I, I found myself in the midst of incredible unity with people that you would not pick out on the street and say, hey, you guys should like be friends. You seem compatible. You seem like you guys would get along all right. When I went to college uh, and became a Christian, I, I found myself in, in the midst of this amazing community with, with incredible unity. They were just the weirdest people I'd ever met. I mean, no doubt about it, the weirdest collection of people I've ever seen. We had people um, in, in, in our group that, you know, were going to be going on to medical school. We also had people in our group that couldn't spell medical school. Did you guys know that Chris and I went to college together? Like, that's not related to the spelling, I promise. Um, but, but we also had kids from, from the inner city, um, and we had kids from, from small towns that were smaller than my math class, like Waverly. Um, well, actually, I don't think anyone from Waverly had a high enough ACT to actually get into, so... Okay, uh, but there's a flip side to this as well. Well, really, what, what knit us together, uh, just this kind of weird community, was a love for Jesus. It didn't matter if we were different. It didn't matter, you know, where we had come from or what we had experienced or anything like that. The bond of Jesus Christ was what held us together. The bond of Jesus Christ is what knit us together. But, you know, there's a flip side to this as well. Um, I had really good friends that I went to college with, that I loved, that I was like-minded with. Um, but once I gave my life to Jesus, I, I, I found that I actually wasn't like-minded with them anymore. You know, I, when I started saying things like, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to go out and get drunk tonight because I've actually, like, I'm reading my Bible and I see that Jesus is my authority and the Lord of my life and he says to not give yourself over to drunkenness. And I would say things like, you know what, I can't actually be in relationships with women like that anymore because I see that, 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 that Jesus tells me to, to honor other people and think of others first and not be a taker primarily. And so what happened is there, there was this just kind of natural division that was taking place in those relationships. We were going in, in, in different directions because we had different lords. And even though we never had a big falling out, we didn't have like an argument or a fight or anything like that, uh, those relationships were never the same. Let me tell you, I still love those people. Those people are still very important to me, but those relationships, they're just different. You see, Jesus didn't come to primarily unify the world. What he came for is to save sinners from death. That's what he came for. So division will always exist as long as people reject Jesus. All right, let's move on. Uh, Let's check in on those officers who told the religious leaders that uh, nobody spoke like Jesus did. So look with me at verses 47 to 49. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. So the Pharisees, they're on kind of a higher social and, and religious plane than these officers, right? They're just, they're, they're just up the ladder a little farther uh, than, than these officers. And what do they do? They mock the officers and they call them out for what? Being moved by Jesus' words. They, they, they kind of play the power card here with them. The leaders are, are threatening rejection to the officers because they've been struck 
simply by the words of Jesus. And you know what's, what's interesting? It didn't even say that, that the officers believed the words of Jesus, just that they were considering it. it. You know, it was doing something in them. And then you can just see the insecurity of these religious leaders coming up, throwing out insults and mocking. And, and I think what this, what this has to teach us is, is not only can we as, as followers of Jesus and, and believers in his word expect division from the world, but, but sometimes, many times even, we can expect rejection from the world as well. Following Jesus can be very costly, if we're being honest. It can cost us prestige. It'll cause you to go against the crowd many times. It'll cause us our status to, to fall and to fail. The bottom line is, Christian, the world will never fully accept you. It will never fully accept you. You'll be told you're wrong for so many different reasons. You'll be told, don't you know that science proved you wrong? There is no God. You'll be told that you're cursed and you're crazy. And, and really, the only reason that you believe is because your parents and the people around you did. You're just a sheep. What, like, you, that's the only reason that you believe. You know, you'll be given all kinds of reasons as to why you're wrong. As a college student... You'll have professors that, that think that you can't think for yourself. They'll think that you're a simpleton because you love Jesus. If you have a boss at work, you, you might find that, that he doesn't think that you can actually do the things you need to do. You'll find that he thinks that he really can't count on you because you're one of these crazy Jesus-loving people. Right? People are going to treat you differently and reject you because your faith and submission to Jesus. So the fact is, we will likely be mocked, we'll be rejected on some level, but we cannot forget who it is that we're following. Because the one that we're following, the one that we are accountable to, has already fully accepted us. We don't have to meet some weird standard. He's already accepted us. He just says, come and believe. Come and believe and follow. He's the one who came, faced rejection for us, that we might be unified with God. We can face rejection because he first faced rejection for us. Amen? Amen. All right, so we got one more character to look at in this passage, our old friend Nicodemus. So look with me um, at verses 50 to 52. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, to Jesus before, and who was one of them, one of the Pharisees, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Now, if we remember, Nicodemus is actually a Pharisee. Um, And back in John chapter 3, he went to Jesus under the cover of night. He didn't want to be seen. He didn't want to be known. But he was very curious about this person, Jesus. And, 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 And Jesus famously told him, Nicodemus, you will never see the kingdom of God until you're born again. Now, I don't know where Nicodemus is on, on, on his faith journey. If he's actually bowed his knee to Jesus and experienced that, that rebirth that comes with, with following Jesus. But what I want to look at here is Nicodemus and what he tells these Pharisees, what he tells these people that he looks up to, these people that, that he's a part of. He says, go to the source. Go to Jesus. Go look at Jesus. He asks them, can we judge this man without first hearing from him? 
And then he gets called out by the Pharisees, and they throw out all these wild and actually false accusations about, about Jesus. But, but, but what does Nicodemus, Nicodemus do here? He calls on the religious leaders to just listen to Jesus, give him a fair shake, a trial, actually seek the man himself. See, when we as followers of Christ faced opposition, division, rejection, I think what we can learn from Nicodemus here, point people to Jesus. Point the opposition to Jesus. Point the rejection to Jesus. You see, we know that Jesus has been used by conservatives, liberals, independents, extremists, and everywhere in between to justify a certain political favor or flavor or or, or a direction that someone wants to go. However, the only way The only way that we can rightly believe in who Jesus is is by letting him define himself, by going to the person of Jesus. And then when we let him define himself, we find that we are actually defined in that way too. So C.D. Light, instead of looking down on our classmate that parties too much, what if we actually show them to the person of Jesus? Instead of running away from the church because, because someone in it may have hurt us, what if we look to the person of Jesus. Instead of judging that friend that has some screwy theology, what if we look with them at the person of Jesus? Instead of letting our differences further divide us, what if we look to the person of Jesus? Think about how refreshing, how graceful that would be if everyone in this room, if our first step when we face division and we face rejection is not to pull out our little internal defense attorney, but to simply point people to Jesus. Simply point people to Jesus. See, Delight, the message of Jesus will divide because it calls us to humility and repentance as well as submission to Christ instead of ourselves. The hope hope that Christ offers divides us, not because it's an arrogant hope in ourselves, but it's a humble hope in our Savior. The gospel does not divide because it's not for everyone. It divides because not everyone sees their need for it. Let us not be a people like the Pharisees that shame people and use Jesus to cause further division amongst ourselves, but simply point people to the person of Jesus. So as we close, I just want to press this in a little bit and ask if you can find yourself in this story. Can you find yourself in this story in one of these characters? Maybe... Maybe you're one of the, the crowd or, or Nicodemus or, or one of the officers, and you've been sitting here this morning, you're asking the same questions about Jesus. Can I trust this guy? Can I trust that, that what he says about himself is actually true? If that's you this morning, I would encourage you, go to Jesus. Find out for yourself. Go to the person. Go to the man himself. Pour through Scripture. Pour through the Gospels. Pray. Find out if he is, in fact, the person that he says that he is. You know, you might have uh, things that pull you away from Jesus, division in your family, your friends, maybe even outright rejection from people. But if what Jesus said is true, if he is, in fact, God, this is the most important invitation you will ever have. Jesus says, come as you are. Believe in him for your life and for your salvation. Now, maybe you've already bowed your knee to Jesus. Maybe you do follow Jesus. Maybe you've already given your life to him. But like the Pharisees in this story, you find yourself trusting in tradition or knowledge or skill or in how other people look at you instead of Jesus. Maybe you found yourself 
shaming others for their sin or looking to the approval of the world to find your direction and to find your value. If this is you this morning, I would encourage you with the same thing. Go to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to the person of Jesus. Let me end with this. Jesus didn't simply come to divide. He faced division himself so that we could be united with God. Jesus came to the earth and faced the rejection of the very people that he created. The the high priest that was supposed to point his people to him sentenced him to death. The very people that he came to save said crucify him. And then on that cross, he faced the rejection of the Father, which was the punishment of our sins, so that we could be unified with God, so that we could be with God through grace forever. Jesus, the rejected one, loves you. He died for you and faced rejection so that you could be received and welcomed into eternal life. See, like Jesus is worth the drama. He's worth the division. He's worth the rejection that we may experience on this side of eternity because at the end of the day, we have been fully accepted and fully covered by a graceful God. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, if, if, if we're being honest, we're going to find rejection. We're going to find division in this world. But God, you're the one that came and faced it first. You're the one that came and faced it so we could have unity with you, so we could be united with you in grace forever. So I just want to pray for everyone in this room. God, would you help them to see themselves in this story? If, if there's people here that have not bowed to you and are asking those questions, God, would they go to you? Would they go to you, Jesus? And Lord, would we all just have a lead step of grace pointing people to you instead of furthering our division. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.